Morning. You guys hear me all right? All right. Wow. Am I good here? Okay. Wow. It's bright. Well, hey, good morning. My name's Aaron. They may have told you that. They may not have. Um, good to be with you guys. Um, so I saw one guy here who actually knows Jesus. He's wearing the right shirt, the Skins fan back there. That's good. The, the other team in the area is in London right now, losing by 23 at halftime in case you're care, but that's the other team, and they're the basically recycled Browns, so sorry, Ravens fans, I, you know, my, my feelings now probably made some enemies. Um, what I'd like to do is I'd like to pray, and then um, what I want to do is I'm very, I like discussion, I like to talk, uh, I'm going to ask questions, and I, I, I politely expect a response. I want you to think about these, so as I, after I pray, I'm going I'm to ask you just a couple primer questions. Please uh, respond to those. And then um, we'll, get, we'll get rolling, okay? So let's pray. Father, thanks a lot for today. Uh, thanks for this opportunity um, to proclaim really good news, and that's found in Jesus, your son. And so I pray that, Lord, this would make sense. Uh, I pray that by your spirit, Lord, we would, uh, we would find repentance and faith again anew afresh today in Jesus. And um, may this become uh, um, just a, a refreshing time as we talk about this, uh, this topic. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So um, I know that, you, you know, I, I've been told I have about 30 minutes. I really don't care about that. Um, I'm probably going to take longer. Not a lot longer, just a couple minutes longer. Um, so um, sorry about that. But uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to make it work. So um, here's my first question. Um, and I really want you to think about this, and then I, I really want you to respond. And the question is this. Do you like to be in control? And then, and then why? Why do you like to be in control? So, so does anybody in here like to be in control? Okay. So good. Some people are honest. The rest of you are lying if you're not raising your hand. All right. So let me ask you this. And this is, again, this is very subjective, meaning, you know, objectively, we all like to be in control. But subjectively, why do you like to be in control? So, so you've raised your hand, but why do you like to be in control? Let me hear from you. You can, like, raise your hand. Or, yeah. So I, I think that I know a little better. You, you know better. Yeah. I love it. No, that's true. I feel you on that. I'm with you. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right? So again, you know better, and now you get to influence a little bit. Okay, yeah? The unknown is scary. The unknown is very scary. Absolutely. What else? This is good stuff. You guys are doing better than I thought. Uh, we'll get back there and then up here. Go ahead. Feel less vulnerable. Yeah. Feel less vulnerable. Yeah. I absolutely hate surprises, so if I'm in control, then I kind of... So surprise parties aren't your thing. <laughs> okay, good stuff. All right. Anybody else? Like, why do you like to be in control? Anybody else? It's good stuff. Guys are, I was a little nervous. The, the first service, man, they killed it. And I was like, yeah, you guys got a pretty high bar to, to me, but you guys are doing good. Okay, well, here's another question. I have three to start with, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit, and we'll, we'll come back to another one. Um, in what circumstances are you most likely to assume control? In what circumstances are you most likely to assume control? Yeah. Driving. Driving. Okay, I was, I was coming in today, and, I, and, and so this is kind of funny, i um, talking about control. Uh, I got in yesterday from vacation, um, yeah, I know uh, your pastor is, is on their way back, or are back, I don't know, maybe they are back, okay. Um, they're they're uh, en route back from vacation today, and, um, but we came back yesterday, and uh, so I got, I got up this morning to kind of uh, finish up some stuff for this, for this talk, and um, was going to print it. Well, I went to print it, and my printer was like, no, not today. And I was out of ink, but it wouldn't like let me bypass that where you like sometimes it's like a suggestion, like we're out of ink, but you can still print. But it wouldn't let me do it. So I was like, 
dang it. So I live on Robinwood Drive. I had to go from Robinwood Drive to Boonesboro to my parents' house to print, then come here, and I was just, I was just a couple minutes late. But anyway, I say all that to say, I was following this guy, and he was not driving fast enough, and I was like, man. And then when I got up to the road, he turned. I'm like, oh, man, I hope he's not going to the church, because I was, like, I was kind of tailgating him a little bit. <laughs> Thankfully, he was not going to church this morning if that sounds right. Oh, <laughs> he was going straight, so I didn't feel as bad because I was like going to have to get out and start apologizing. So yeah, when, you like to be in control when you're driving. Okay, what else? When do, when do you like to assume control or what circumstances do, do you want to take control in? Yeah. The hardest possible ones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sure. Anybody else? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I feel you. Yeah, sir. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I got, I got one more question. This is all good stuff, by the way. You guys are participating well. You get stars on your charts. Um, have you ever been disappointed with God? That's, that's not rhetorical. It's like, I want to know. Have you ever been disappointed with God? Yeah. Yes. Okay, yeah. I think we can all again say yeah. Now, here's another question. Um, is it hard to voice the disappointment with God, especially in church culture? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree. I think it's extremely hard in church culture, especially to voice disappointment with God. And we're going to look at a story today, and I've, I've entitled this, this is a very chipper uh, message, it's called Disappointment with God. It's going somewhere good though, so just stay with me. Uh, and we're going to be in John chapter 11. Now John chapter 11 is a big chapter. I'm not going to read all the verses because we really would be here super long. Um, but I'm going to paraphrase a lot, tell the story, but there's a couple verses. If you have a copy uh, of, of the Bible with you, uh, I assume I think also they might be putting them up here, um, you, you can go there with me when I, when I actually get to those passages. But... Um, this is, this is a story, uh, if you've even remotely grown up around the church or you've had any kind of experience within like a church or Sunday school or anything like that, you probably know the story of Jesus and Lazarus, right? You guys heard this story before? It's a really cool story, and we often uh, highlight certain aspects of the story, but there's some things in the story that today I actually kind of want to talk about that maybe we don't always think about, and then uh, we're going to kind of bring it home to, to what I think is some really good news. So um, basically, there are a lot of things in the story to highlight. Uh, one of the aspects in this story is the glory of God uh, in our circumstances, and especially the difficult ones. You're going to see that in the story, but that's not the main thing I want us to talk about today. Uh, we're going we're gonna to touch on that. Uh, another aspect of the story is the obedience of Jesus and the dim-wittedness of the disciples. But that's, that's another thing that you're going to see it, but it's not necessarily the main thing I want us to see this morning. Um, and as we've already said, and, and you, you kind of figured out probably from the questions, we're, we're going to talk about this idea of control. And in this story, we're going to see really who's in control and then also um, what's done with that. And so uh, whenever I get any kind of opportunity to do any kind of uh, preaching or speaking like this, um, I usually just talk about something I'm struggling with because it, it becomes more real. And, and I struggle with a lot of things, so it's usually not hard picking a topic. It's just picking like the most prevalent one, right? And so as you can imagine, uh, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about the idea of control and then also tying it into disappointment with God. And what do we do with that? Uh, for me, uh, I know uh, somebody said uh, about you, know, disapp- or, or, uh, you feel like you're in control when it deals with your children. Well, something for me, um, I think I've always been a control freak. Um, 
But when I, have, I have three kids. Uh, my oldest is five and a half, and my youngest is just turned one, and then I have one in between there, and she just turned three. And um, I tell you, recently, I've really struggled with control, like really just fear, anxiety, worry. What, you know, there's plenty of things when you think about kids of what you can worry about with your kids. So I just pick a number, one, a number of them every day and just start to think about them and worry about them. I'm pretty good at it. Uh, and so for me, that's an area of, of, of control. Like, what do I? And so my decisions sometimes are influenced, not sometimes, a lot of times, my, they're influenced by this fear or lack of control or wanting to have control, you know, not wanting anything bad to happen to my kids. Okay, not wanting to go down a wrong path. You know, all these things. But another area for me is, is uh, in, in my job, in, in my career, what I, what I love to do, my passion, right? Uh, which, which my job is that for me, but it's like, I want to do well. And so for me, man, I sometimes get, I feel like I got to control it. I got to make things happen. I got to do stuff. Even in my relationship with God, I feel like it's up to me. I have to do something for God to be happy with me or for him to continue to be happy with me. We're going to get to the end of this and see, actually, that's, that's kind of bad theology. That's a bad way to live before God, but it's something I struggle with. So if you can resonate with any of those things, I think um, you'll, uh, you'll connect. And by the way, I'm, I'm pretty old school. Uh, I, like, I like paper. That's just how I am. So um, if, you know, if you see me flipping up here, I, I did that by choice. And uh, so I apologize if that's, if that's weird for you. Um, this is paper for some of you young people. You probably don't know what that is, but it's paper. Um, I'm, I'm young-ish. Um, so this story in John 11 shows us the very real struggle with control from different fronts. And we're going to kind of highlight just a couple of those. Um, so the thing I like about the story, and, and really all of the Bible, is the Bible isn't sanitized. We, we do a good job of Sunday schooling the Bible, but the Bible doesn't do for itself. It's pretty raw. You know, if it were to rate the thing, I mean, you'd be somewhere between R and X. Seriously, because there's some really explicit stuff in there uh, that's crazy, you know, in different spots of it. And, and so this story doesn't like, it doesn't add a bunch of church cliche sayings to what's going on here. It just kind of tells it how it is. I love that about it. And yet we see how Jesus responds. It's an uncomfortable story because God's an uncomfortable God. See, let's face it, following Jesus is pretty uncomfortable. I don't know if you've figured that out yet. So there's a few things here I want to I kind of highlight. So number, number one, Jesus allows disappointment. Jesus allows disappointment. So we're not quite sure exactly where Jesus is. We know that he's uh, not in Judea, which is, Judea is the bigger region where Jerusalem and and Bethany, which is, we're going to see the the town of Bethany here in a second. But we know he's not there. It says he's uh, from John 10, just previously uh, from John 11, that Jesus left uh, Judea or this area and he goes across the river to where John had been baptizing people. So what we do know is he's probably about a day's journey away from where all this is taking place. Okay, so He's about a day's journey away from where all this is happening. And he gets word. See, these messengers come to him and say, Jesus, your boy is sick. Your friend Lazarus, he's sick. He's ill. Okay, And so he's with his disciples. He gets this message, this word. That, that Lazarus is sick. Well, Bethany, where, where Lazarus is, is about two miles south, probably, most likely. It's about two miles south of Jerusalem. So it's all in this hub, this walking distance. Of course, you know they walk there a lot, right? I think you got that. Um, there weren't segway tours around the, the Judean area. Uh, they, they, they had to walk everywhere. And so uh, we, we know that Jesus comes, or I'm sorry, these messengers come, and they say, hey, in Bethany, where, G, where Lazarus is, he's ill, and this is about two miles south of Jerusalem, and Jesus is um, uh, about a day's journey away, we're going to find out. Okay? And so 
Jesus hears this, this news, and, and, and you have to go back and read John 10 to really understand what's going on, but his, Jesus' friends kind of think he's, he, you know, uh, they, they pull him, um, uh, as he leaves the Judean area, the reason he leaves Judea is because he, they just tried to stone him. They tried to kill him because of some things he was saying. And the people that were trying to do that were the religious folks, the church people, if you will. They, they didn't like what he was saying, and so they tried. So they go, uh, he leaves the area, and, and later his, his disciples, as you're going to see in the story, they think he's nuts because he's, you know, spoiler alert, he's going to go back. And they're like, what the heck? What are you doing, Jesus? Don't you know they were just trying to kill you here? Okay. So, um, he, this is what's going on. This is kind of the, the setting of the story. And so Jesus gets word, hey, Jesus, Lazarus is ill. And, and I love the story here because you see the full um, uh, uh, display of Jesus and his identity. See, um, Jesus is fully God, but he's fully man. There's a quick little theology lesson here. Jesus isn't like, he's not like half and half. He's not like 50% God and 50% man and like you put it together and then you get surprised, it's Jesus. He's fully God and fully man. And, and that's a mystery. Like if you're trying to figure that out and square that, stop you're going to hurt yourself. It's above our pay grade, but it doesn't make it less true. But I love this story because you're going to see both his divinity, but also his humanity. And right here, here's a glimpse of his, uh, his humanity because it says that Jesus loved Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Now, those names should all sound familiar because uh, throughout these stories of the Gospels, you, you hear these names, right? Mary is the same Mary that washes Jesus' feet with her tears, why? Because she was forgiven much, we learn in that story. And so this is this family, and Jesus loves them. But I'm going to read in verse 6, and just, does this sound like what you would do if you just heard uh, news that somebody you care about uh, is ill, and then you had something to do to, to help that or control it or make it better, and, and then this is how you respond. Does this sound like something you would do? So it says this in verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Thanks, Jesus. You can help us and fix our situation, but you're going to stay two days longer in the situation. So you can imagine Mary and Martha, they're feeling it on the hot seat. Like, okay, you, you told Jesus. It was the right Jesus, right? Like the son of God, the guy that, yeah, you told that guy because he's not coming back. Like they're, they're like, where's this guy at? I don't know. We told him. He stayed put. I don't know. Right? So, so Jesus stays put for two days longer. And then after the two days is when he says, all right, it's time to go. That's crazy to me. It frustrates me if I'm honest. Like, it kind of ticks me off a little bit. Like, because like, I imagine myself in, this, in, this, in the circumstance. I imagine being, uh, a, you know, either a close friend or even um, a family member of Lazarus and, and then hearing, hey, the one guy that can actually do something, he, he stayed. He didn't come. I think I'd be mad if we're honest. Like, let's, Let's be honest, like, we would be mad about that. And then Jesus finally says, okay, hey, we're going to go to Judea. And this is exactly in the hot, like, where he's been on the hot seat. It's right where all the problems have been happening with him and these religious folks. And he says, no, we're going to go there. And we know that, they, that recently they were trying to kill him there. And so the disciples are like, oh my gosh, what is this guy doing? I thought we just escaped, now we're going back in. And so when we know that they don't fully get it, because Thomas, in this passage, he says, well, I guess we're going to go die with them. Wasn't really planning on dying today, but let's go. Mount up. You know, like, so they're going, to go with, they're going to go with Jesus, and they're going to go into Judea, into Bethany, 
and they're gonna go there. And, and, and they're like, I guess we're gonna go meet our death today. But they follow him. So there's, there's this beauty of kind of this muddled, incomplete faith. But they know there's something to Jesus. They get, like, they're, they're getting this picture of who he is. It's being unveiled to them as they follow him. And they say, we're gonna go with him. So they do. And then as they go in, Martha hears about Jesus. He's entered into the town area. He's, or he's, he's outside the town, I'm sorry. And, and so Martha goes to him. And this is what it says in verse 20 and through 22 in John 11. It says this. It says, So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. So Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So Martha does two things. She professes her disappointment and the reality of that Jesus could have done something, but he didn't. But then she also proclaims some understanding of, of who he is and his ability. Like, she, she, again, she doesn't fully get it. You know, that's, a whole, that's a kind of a little other discussion we're not going to go into today. But then what she said there, you can kind of piece together. She doesn't fully get it, but she knows he has this kind of authority and power. And she goes on to say, because Jesus gives one of his famous I am statements just after that. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he says, do you believe this to Martha? And she, she says, I believe uh, that you are the son of God coming into the world. So she's kind of like, yeah, I get it, but she's not fully getting it too because she also just thinks that the resurrection is this thing that's gonna happen some other time. And so th- we're gonna take a step back just for a hot second. And there's two, there's two areas where control has already been lost in our folks here that we're looking at today. One is Lazarus's family and friends. They've already lost control. Why? Because they sent for help from the one person that can help and he doesn't respond at least not on their timetable. So I'm sure they're feeling out of control. And then also the disciples, they feel out of control. Why? Because they had already been in this area that, that Jesus was being pursued to, to the death and now they're going right back to the area. So they're, they're, they're all feeling a little bit out of control at this point. And I think we, if we're honest, can start to identify with that because of some of the areas we just mentioned earlier that where we struggle with control and wanting to be in control. Okay, so... The second thing I want us to see is that Jesus enters into the disappointment and the brokenness. He enters into the disappointment and the brokenness. Um, I'm going to read here in 32 through 33 in, in John 11. This is what it says. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. So now Mary, Martha's sister and Lazarus' brother, she goes to Jesus and, and there's no affirmation of, of his ability to do anything. She just says, Jesus, if you have been here. She says, Lord, it's this title she gives him which is accurate and true. So she gets that you know he is Lord but she's also disappointed. She's, maybe she's angry, I don't, I don't know, but you can only imagine, right? These are real people in a real circumstance. This isn't a fairy tale. This is like, this really happened. And so she's, she's before him and she's, she's disappointed and she's got this heartache. And it says that Jesus was deeply troubled and he was moved. Now, that's interesting because of what that actually means. Like, I'm not one when I, when I speak or talk and I get into a bunch of like different words and this is what this word means in Greek and all that. But you do have to understand something because this is important where it says that he was deeply moved and troubled, uh, greatly troubled, that actually, what that literally means is he was angry in spirit and he was greatly agitated. So he wasn't just deeply moved like, oh, this is a bummer. He's agitated, he's angry. And it's most likely probably referring to his anger over death itself. He's mad at death. Why? Well, when God creates everything, he creates, uh, we're gonna use this really 
uh, powerful world that shalom. He creates everything in shalom. Everything's in unison between God and man and man and man. And all of creation is just in this ebb and flow that's just perfect. And then sin, our, our rebellion against God, fractures that. It breaks it. And because of that, we see disunity. We see dysfunction. We see all these things fall apart because of what sin has done. And one of the results of sin we learn throughout all of Scripture, all of the story of God, is death. And Jesus is mad at death. It's, he's angry at death. And we see that here. So one of the things I want you to see too, and in his humanity, what Jesus does is he doesn't shame the family. He doesn't shame Mary and Martha saying, come on. We had Bible school like last two and a half, three years. You're with me all the time. Don't you get it? Don't you know who I am? Shape up. Come on. You know I'm going to do something. He doesn't do that. He, he walks among them in the hurt and loss. It's like, here's this image. Imagine, you know, there's this river and you're on one bank and, and Jesus is on, you know, there's the other bank is where you're trying to get to. We'll put it that way. And then you have to wade in the river. You have to wade in the muck, the mire, whatever that is. Jesus is not on the other bank saying, hey, just come on, try harder. A little bit more, you're almost here. He, he actually gets in the river, the muck, the mire, whatever it is. He's in there with you, waist deep. It's dirty. It's, it's just, it's, it, whatever, the, you know, those emotions are that you're feeling is like, you know, the fear, the lack of control. He's in that with you. Remember, Emmanuel is one of the, the names or titles of Jesus. That means God with us. He's with us. That actually literally means he's with us. <laughs> Go figure, right? Like he gets it. He's, he's not just this distant deity who doesn't understand. He's, he's experienced brokenness. He's experienced shame. He's experienced betrayal. He's experienced hurt. And yet he comes and he walks among us. That's such good news. So a little side note application I just want to highlight here just for a hot second. We need to take our cues from Jesus and not church culture. And this is a church culture in the like, capital C broader sense. This isn't like this church, okay? It includes this church because I'm just talking about everybody. We need to take our cues from Jesus and not church culture. Jesus listens to hurt. He listens to the hurt in people's lives. Church culture is often quick to give some cliche. Jesus walks in the midst of grief and weeps with people. Okay, I was, a, I was a Bible teacher up until this past year. Taught for six years at Broad Fording Christian Academy. Great, great school, great experience, okay? And um, I, I had to do these things called Bible verse quizzes. And I hated doing them, honestly, because the kids were like walking in, cramming them in their head. I'm like, you're not learning it. You're just cramming it in your head. But they always wanted to do John eleven thirty five. 35. Why? Because it's two words. Jesus wept. Can we do? They'd look at that syllabus. Mr. Rohr, where's John eleven thirty five? 35? We'll keep looking because it ain't there. We're not doing that verse, right? But if you think about it, it's actually a very powerful verse. Why? Because Jesus weeps. He weeps with people. He wept over the, friend of, over the death of his friend. Why does he weep? He's God. He knows what he's about to do. This isn't a secret. He's not like, oh, I feel power. I think I can raise him from the dead. Like, he gets it. He's sovereign. He understands. He knows what he's about to do, and yet he's still in his humanity, full humanity, and yet full divinity. He weeps with them. He doesn't tell them to stop. Get over yourselves. I'm going to fix it. No, he just weeps with them. Man, I love that. It's beautiful. Church culture can be hurry, quick to hurry people through their pain because we are uncomfortable with pain. We don't want to deal with the awkwardness of pain. Let's be honest. Pain is, 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 is awkward. It's difficult. You know, one of the things I'm learning, I've been married for 10 years, and I'm learning it slowly. I'm not, I'm not super, super bright, but I am learning it slowly. 
is that I don't always have to fix stuff, right? Like if there's an issue, my wife's hurting or there's a problem, like I'm, again, slowly learning, like I don't have to fix it. I can't fix it. But as guys especially, we're gonna fix it. We're gonna come in, we're gonna say the right thing and three to five minutes later, we're gonna make out. It's gonna be good, (laughs) right? getting PG-13 in here, huh? No, but we're, we're gonna, we're gonna, yeah, I'm gonna fix it, but you, you know what? I can't fix it, and I'm learning to just, and I, got, I just need to, my wife just wants me to listen sometimes, all, all the time, <laughs> right? But it's people, though, in the awkwardness of brokenness that's going on around us. We can't fix it, we, but we, we're called to listen. We're called to be, be there, and we need to learn how to grieve. I'm not good at that, because yeah, I want to just I'm gonna bypass it because it's awkward. It's weird. I, we don't know what to say. There's silence. What if there's silence? I'm, I'm the type where I don't like silence. I gotta fit, fit something in, you know? But you, you can't. You need to just learn. We need to learn. I need to learn to just sit with people in that. But church culture, we're not good at that. Jesus waits to act and he walks in the uncomfortable silence. Church culture sometimes feels the need to answer for God or plead God's case. But here's the thing. God doesn't need you to do that. Where the scriptures say that give, give, be willing and be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in you, that's talking about your hope in Jesus. It's not saying you gotta go fix everybody's theology or wrong thinking or, I'm, and again, I'm really good at this. I'm very critical, okay, for my spiritual gifts, hypercritical, okay, that's sin by the way, it's a bad joke. But, but like I, I'm really good at that and actually like G, God says, no, you don't have to do that. You don't have to fix people. You don't have to fix people's wrong platforms or, or your perceived, you know, you know, view of their wrong platforms of the things that, the, that they're standing for. We're all in process. But especially when it comes to, to this, like, you know, we need to, uh, we need to step back and, and we need to stop feeling like we have to, like, fix everything and answer for God and let God be God, let God work it out. Because some things aren't gonna make sense ever here. They're not. And that's hard for us. Jesus wades through it. He wades through it. Now, I have one more quick response question. I want you to think about it and actually respond, and then we're going we're gonna to land this plane, okay? Um, this question is this. How is the gospel good news to those of us who are control freaks? How is the good news of Jesus good news to those of us who are control freaks? By the way, you're all control freaks. So am I. Some of us self-profess. Some of us aren't there yet. You're going to learn. You are that. Okay, so how's, the, how's Jesus good news to us as control freaks? What do you think? Yeah, man. Yeah. Love it. So easy to do that too, right? <laughs> Not for me. No, but no, that's true. Uh, yeah, let, let Jesus be in charge. What else? I, saw, I think I saw a hand over here. Yeah. Yeah, we don't have to worry about that. Absolutely. Anybody else? How's Jesus good news to those of us who are control freaks? Yeah. Yeah. God's plan is the best plan. The third thing I want us to see here is Jesus brings healing out of the disappointment. He doesn't bypass disappointment, as, as many of us are all too familiar with. And we've walked in it. Some of us are in it now. Some of you are in a season. Some of you are still healing from it. Some of you always will be healing from it. In some ways, we all are. But Jesus doesn't bypass disappointment. He walks through it and he brings healing out of it. We call that redemption. He redeems. 
That's what redemption means. It means to, to, to buy back out of a terrible situation. Okay, Jesus redeems our brokenness in our situation and our circumstances. So again, we see here at the, the tail end of our story about Jesus and Lazarus, that Jesus is, says again, and he uses it again. He says he's again greatly troubled, and we already learned that that means he's, he's angered in his spirit about death. And what does he do? He does something about it. But notice that he did it on his timetable. That's the part that's hard, right? He does it on his timetable. So Jesus says, hey, remove the stone. And Martha, being a good you know, sister, of Lazarus, and she's probably a bit motherly. I think she might be, because from some other, another story we hear about her, how she got mad because, you know, Mary was like sitting at Jesus' feet, and she's like doing a bunch of work, and she's like, Jesus, tell my sister to get to work. And Jesus actually commends Mary and kind of politely rebukes Martha, right? So I bet Martha's kind of motherly. That's just my own thought about her. And she, she does something very motherly. She says, hey, Jesus, he's been in there four days. He's going to stink. There's going to be an odor. He's like, okay. So he, he still, he, he has to move the stone. And, and he, he prays and he has this prayer and he says, he, he, and I'm gonna read the prayer because I, I do think it's, um, it's gonna be better that, that I do than me just trying to, um, to paraphrase it. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, yeah, he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And so again, we see another piece of the mystery of who Jesus is being revealed. It's like this three and a half year surprise party. I know we, we have a friend here who hates surprises, but it's just like a three and a half year surprise party, right? It's, it's slowly being unveiled. It's slowly being told to them who he is. And you know what the good news is? This is a little side note um, for, for those of you who are, who are weak in your faith like me. I like the worst faith. I'm pathetic. Okay, um, in Matthew 28, Jesus is ascending and he's giving the final instructions. And the one thing he says is this. He says, go make disciples. And it says, as he's ascending, some doubted. They're watching the resurrected son of God ascend to heaven. And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> I, think it's, I think he's it, but mm, <laughs> who can be sure, right? And, and yet that's me. That's my heart, man. Like I get it. I know, I, I know but in my heart, there's so much fear and there's so much doubt. And so Jesus is like this continual, and that's good news for us. There's this continued revealing of who he is and the mystery of who he is. And it says later uh, that it's not until after his resurrection that his own family believes he is the Messiah. And Jesus says, as in this prayer, he says, Father, I thank you for this opportunity so that they can see, see who I am. And then what Jesus does is pretty, pretty cool. He tells a dead guy to stop being dead. He says, hey, you're done. Get out of here. Come on. Come on out. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And so what, what happens is Lazarus listens because he has to because he's God. And he comes out. And can you imagine that like, you know, like, what just happened here? We're, we're witnessing this. But if you think about it, if you're here and you know Jesus, that's the same, that's your story because spiritually you're dead and Jesus says, come forth. And he brings life. And he invites you into life with him. So we're going to, there's, I think, who knows how many I wrote. There's six. They're quick, I promise. Um, six little applications. I call them gospel applications because what I don't want to do is just say, hey, go do these things, see you later. Because that's another, that's a to-do list and we don't do great with those. 
We either throw them off in the first couple minutes because we realize we can't do them, or we really try and we realize, ah, I can't do this. I'll try harder. And then we just get tired. So gospel application means the good news. Here's the good news application. Here's, in light of who Jesus is and what he's done, think about these things. So number one, you will face disappointment in life. And you're going to feel out of control at times. Just go ahead and just know that. When it comes, don't beat yourself up. Don't, you know, oh man, I'm the worst. Okay? There's a guy named Jack Miller, and he, he's, I think he's dead. He's dead. Um, but he's really, he, he's, he has some good stuff out there. I've, I've, I've never read, read any of his stuff, but I like a lot of people who have. So I'm kind of telling on myself here. But he has, he's really solid. And he's, he has a saying, he says, cheer up, you're worse than you think. <laughs> and, and that's really good because it's true. Like, hey, you know what, you're kind of worked up about how bad you are. You're way worse than you think. But good news is Jesus' grace is, and love is far greater than that. So you just need to, you and I just need to realize, number one, we're going to struggle with this idea of disappointment and control. Like, we're going to want to be in control. We're going to get disappointed when we're not. We're probably going to get angry at God. That's just the reality of it. Number two, trying to be in control, it's pretty exhausting. I don't know about you, but when I'm trying to be in control, I am tired. And yet, what do I do? I try to do it again and again and again. And yet, here's this grace extended to us again and again and again. We're invited, as Jesus says in Matthew 11, it's one of my favorite passages. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. That's good news. So when you start to feel like you're in, you know, trying to be in control, and it's up to you, it's, the invitation is not to, to try harder or be better, it's, it's to come and rest. Number three, nobody in this story does anything to resolve the problem, ultimately, but they follow Jesus. Even when their faith is incomplete. And that's something else that in the church we need to be better at. You know, nobody has perfect faith. And sometimes we present this, this picture, even if it's just to ourselves, that, you know what, I'll come to God when my faith is a little bit better. But that's never the case. In, in fact, it, you know, Jesus says if your faith is that of a mustard seed, we've probably all heard that before, but the mustard seed was this super tiny seed. And, and it's what do you do with that little bit of faith? If you're a, I mean, not that like it's a percentage thing, but if you're like a one percenter, Man, run to Jesus with that because you know what? That's enough. Because it's not, it's not the amount of faith that saves you, redeems you, or rescues you. It's the object of your faith. And the object of your faith is Jesus. He's batting a thousand. Jesus responds to imperfect faith. No one has it figured out, but instead they follow Jesus and they let him reveal his workings in the situation. Number five, Jesus willingly puts himself in situations that are seemingly out of control on our behalf and invites us to take his very life upon, like take his life, like you know, assume his life. You're invited into his life. He is obedient to the Father as our substitute, even to the cross. The gospel, the story of Jesus, is not just that he goes to a cross and he dies and raises again, although that's crucial. He actually lives a perfect life for you. He's not just doing it as, as, as an example. He's doing it as your substitute. See, Christian life is all about substitution. It's about him taking and assuming your role as a sinner and then giving you his perfect record as obedient son forever and ever and ever. And so that even in your failure and your brokenness, he's already done it for you. So you're not looking to your ability or how you failed this week or today or in the last minute. You're looking to the one who is always on display as the perfect, righteous, obedient son before the Father. So where we lack obedience, he gives it as a gift. Where we struggle to, 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 to rightly give him control, we want to take it for ourselves. He already did it for you. Where we lack control, he has complete control, and he invites us to trust him, 
especially when we don't understand and when we have an incomplete faith. And then lastly, we can run to Jesus in our incomplete faith today and ask him to have his kingdom break into our lives by giving him the control he already has. Newsflash, you're not in control even when you think you are. And when you say, all right, God, you're in control. It's not like he all of a sudden assumes it. He already was. When I'm struggling with control, when I'm struggling with all these feelings of disappointment or even anger, God's still in control. And he's just inviting us into that rest with him. So you come and rest with him. Let his kingdom break forth. His kingdom isn't this future thing that one day might happen or is going to happen or whatever. His kingdom is here now. Jesus came bringing the kingdom, it says in Mark. He brought the kingdom to the people. It's here and now. It's to be realized and starting to you know, kind of fumble through it now. So what does repentance look like? That's a good Bible word, repent, right? Well, well, Martin Luther said this, the Christian life is one of continual repentance. You're continually turning away from trusting whatever it is you're trusting for your, great, for your salvation and for, for your very life and you're continually invited to stop trusting that and actually turn and trust the actual one who can give life and the one who can actually rescue you and the one who can actually give meaning. And that's the invitation of the cross. That's the invitation of the good news of Jesus. Repent, turn, stop, that's dead end. It's not gonna save, it's not gonna rescue, it's not gonna give, give life to you, but Jesus will give those things. So whatever area that you and I today are struggling with, control or disappointment or anger or frustration, the invitation's beautiful. It's come and rest with Jesus. And guess what, in like five minutes, you're gonna have to preach it again to yourself. This is just training right here, man training you and me to how to go and preach the same message to ourselves uh, in 30 minutes, tomorrow, next week, next year. And the people in our lives, we get to, we get to proclaim good news to them and that's what this is. So I'm gonna pray and then um, I guess we're doing a song? Cool. All right, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to uh, proclaim good news. And man, God, I need it because Lord, I am really awful at trying to take control wanting to be in control and thinking, honestly, God, that I'm just better than you at it. And I ask for your forgiveness because, God, that's, that's so not true, yet it's such a struggle for me. So, Father, please forgive me. Thank you for Jesus who already, who already has done everything on my behalf and our behalf. And, Father, I pray you help us to have a deeper faith and rest in him and what he's done. And may this be really good news to us. Bring repentance and faith today, maybe even for the first time, that we would see Jesus for who is beautiful, that we'd follow him. And it's in his name we pray, amen.